Uh, When I was at school, uh, the slogan for Coke was, you can't beat the real thing. And I wonder whether for some of you just saying those words, uh, you've got the jingle playing in your head. For others, uh, it means nothing. Uh, It's a great marketing slogan, isn't it? The message is really clear. Don't go for substitutes. Stick with the real thing. Now, I always thought the message for this slogan was to not buy what the competition is offering. Don't buy Pepsi or any other cola. Stick with the real thing. Uh, No substitutes. But in my two seconds of internet research, which is how most strongly formed opinions are held, um, or strongly held opinions are formed, not only was it... Anyway, um, (laughs) I've discovered that actually... This slogan had very little to do with the competition. The real message was Coke has returned to its original recipe. I don't know whether new Coke was ever sold. In Australia, my parents uh, wanted me to have all my teeth when I grew up, so we didn't drink much Coke. But in America, they changed the recipe. They changed the flavour and the result was disastrous. It's now legendary in bad ideas in business No one liked the new flavour. And so the slogan, can't beat the real thing, the message is, Coke's back. The real thing is back. Today we're opening up uh, the book of Galatians. Uh, The message of Galatians is stick with the real thing. Don't try the new thing, stick with the real thing. Uh, The letter we call Galatians, sorry, the book we call Galatians is a letter. It's a letter written by Paul. Uh, Who's Paul? Well, we know lots about Paul. If you've been with us over the last term, as we've been stuck into the book of Acts, we've met Paul. Back when we met him, he was going around by the name Saul, his Jewish name. Saul was a devout Jewish believer, serious about keeping the law of Moses and serious about ridding the world of followers of Jesus. Uh, we meet him in Acts chapter 8. Really, the story starts in chapter 9 as he heads north uh, to Damascus. He was heading with a plan to arrest and haul away believers in Jesus. Instead, Jesus stopped Saul in his tracks. Saul met Jesus and his life was changed forever. Uh, meeting Jesus didn't just change what he believed about Jesus, it changed the trajectory of his life. Uh, Jesus gave Saul a task, a mission. Uh, His mission was to proclaim, uh, to proclaim Jesus' name to Gentiles and to kings, to say, to tell the world about Jesus. Uh, What's a Gentile? A Gentile, that's just the Jewish word for anyone who's not a Jew. Jesus' job for Saul was to take the truth of Jesus to the non-Jewish world. So that's who Saul, also known as Paul, is. The task Jesus gave Paul uh, is to be an apostle. An apostle is someone sent with a message. So when he says, you're to take my name to Gentiles and kings, that's his commission to be an apostle, to be sent to go to the world with a message about Jesus. It's kind of a bit like being an envoy or a diplomat. And it's as an apostle of Jesus that Paul writes. 
So let's have a read from verse 1. This is Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me. So Paul's writing this letter and he's writing it to churches in Galatia. Uh, Where's Galatia? It's the central southern part of what we call Turkey. These days we call it Turkey. Back then it's Galatia. But the important part uh, in as far as the, the Bible is concerned isn't so much that it's part of Turkey today, but it's those places where we've been travelling with Paul and Barnabas over the last few weeks. In Acts chapters 13 and 14, they go to places like Pisidian Antioch, Iconium and Lystra. They're those places up the top of the map. This is who this letter is being sent to. So let's read from partway through verse 2. To the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. All right, so this is the Apostle Paul sent by Jesus with a message, and he's writing to churches there in Galatia, churches where Paul went as an apostle to take the good news of Jesus. Uh, when did Paul write this letter? Well, we're not told. Uh, when you or I write a letter, we put the, the date up the top. It's one of the first things you write. They didn't do this in the ancient world. But based on who the letter is written to and what Paul writes in the letter, so the recipients and the content, this letter slots right into Acts chapter 15, which is what we looked at last week. In Acts 15, a big problem comes up. Some false teachers came to uh, the city of Antioch, the one that was in the, the country of Syria, the region of Syria, and they were teaching the church in Syria, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. And this leads to a meeting of church leaders, apostles and elders in Jerusalem. Galatians is written because it seems these false teachers didn't stop in Antioch. They continued to all of the new churches in Galatia. What this means is if this is when Galatians was written, and there is another theory about the date, but I think it's wrong. If I'm right... It means Galatians is the earliest, the first of Paul's letters. All right, so that's an introduction to this book. It's most likely Paul's earliest letter, written during the events of Acts chapter 15, written to believers in Galatia, modern-day Turkey. The reason he's writing, well, we've already heard it from Acts 15, there's a problem. A problem in the churches in Galatia. People have come with a new gospel, which is a non-gospel, a new gospel, which is a non-gospel, a message that's taking them away from salvation in Jesus. Verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. 
Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, we don't get to hear the details of this different gospel until chapter 2, uh, but just briefly, flick to chapter 2 and verse 12. So Galatians 2.12, it talks about the circumcision group. And if you jump down then to verse 16, Galatians 2.16, it talks about being justified by works of the law. It's the same kind of thing we read in Acts 15. People saying, faith in Jesus, that's, that's, a, that's okay, but it's not enough. It's not the real thing. You need something better, something new. To be saved, to have eternal life with God, yes, you've got to trust in Jesus, plus be circumcised and live under the law given to Moses. Their message was faith plus becoming Jewish, living under the law. And the Galatian churches have taken this hook, line and sinker. They've gobbled it up. And they've turned their back on the true gospel they first heard. Now we're going to spend a lot of time looking at this non-gospel after the school holidays. But for today, if that's the fraud... What's the real thing? I've been told that if you work in a bank, if you work trying to catch counterfeit money, fake notes and coins, you don't spend your days studying fake money. That's really obviously fake. The way you learn to spot a fake is by knowing the real thing inside out. If you know the real thing, the fake will be obvious. So what's the the real gospel? What's the the true gospel? Well, gospel means good news. There were lots of gospels in the ancient world. It was actually an everyday word that just means good news, particularly good news about a victory. When a kingdom's army was victorious, a gospel would be proclaimed. A herald, and apostle, would be sent to towns and villages with a message. Good news, the invaders have been conquered. Our king and his army is victorious. And what's the gospel, the good news of Christ? Paul gives it to us briefly but powerfully in the first five verses. In that section where he's saying, Hi, I'm Paul, g'day churches in Galatia. You might have actually missed it, but he, he can't help but tell the gospel. So have a look again at those first five verses. In verse 1 we read, the gospel is, Jesus is the Christ. He's God's promised king. That's what Christ means. Christ isn't Jesus' surname, it's his title. Jesus is the Christ. He is the forever king God promised who would descend from David, the great king of ancient Israel. We also find out about Jesus that he is the son of the father, the eternal divine son. Now, Jesus isn't called son in verse 1. You've got to get to chapter 1, verse 16 for Paul to say this explicitly. But by saying God is father, well, who's the son if God is the father? Well, it's, it's Jesus. So the gospel is about the father and the son who is the Christ, he's the king. It's also the gospel of the spirit. Though 
He doesn't get mentioned to chapter 3. And then the Holy Spirit is a big focus for the last four chapters of this letter. The point is the gospel is the good news of the triune God. Uh, The gospel is about the resurrection of the Christ, Jesus, whom the Father raised from the dead. Remember how gospel means good news? Good news of a victory. The resurrection is Jesus' victory. He has conquered death and is now the risen and eternally reigning king. That's good news. The king has won. Other good news is also in verse 4. In verse 4 we're told, When Jesus died, he gave himself for our sins. He gave himself for our sins. When Jesus died, it was a a great exchange, a great swap. Jesus died as a substitute. He he died in the place of his people. Uh, When you buy your groceries online, and as many many of us have now done that because we've been sick and we've done that, when you put in an online order from a supermarket, there's a question about whether you'll accept substitutes. If you order skim milk and they don't have any, are you happy for them to substitute in full cream milk and give you full cream milk in its place? Sometimes the substitute means you get something much better than what you ordered. Other times it's not so good. When Jesus gives himself for our sins, when he substitutes himself for his people, When he dies the death, we deserve to die. That is a great substitute. Because through dying for our sins, he rescues his people from the present evil age. He he rescues those who trust in him from the domain of darkness, from the power and penalty of sin. It's the, the now and not yet of what Jesus has done when he talks about being rescued from the present evil age. Uh, Because Jesus has died and risen again, what's that mean? It means that the new age is now here. The age promised in the Old Testament, what was future in the Old Testament is present for us. Now is the time when God pours out his Holy Spirit and changes people from the inside out. Believers are rescued from the power of sin, its control over us, and believers are rescued from the penalty of sin, from God's eternal judgment. Through Jesus, there is eternal life with God. That's good news. And verse 4 says, that started now. We talk about this now and not yet. Paul doesn't use those words. He talks about being rescued from the present evil age. Because through Uh, Through Jesus, the new age has begun. That's the top line in that little diagram. Believers are rescued from the present evil age, but at the same time, the old age continues until Jesus returns. That's the bottom line. And because of the overlap of the ages, because you might be thinking, hang on, Paul, if we've been rescued from the present evil age, why are there false teachers in Galatia? Why is there suffering and, and sin? was because of this overlap of the ages. Because of the overlap of the ages, the present evil age continues, but the new age has begun. Well, there's going to be false teaching and and we struggle with temptation and sin, even though at the same time in Christ, there is forgiveness and life in the spirit. 
And this means for those of us who trust in Jesus, because in Jesus we are rescued from the present evil age, now we can have, verse 3, what can we have? What do we have? Grace and peace with God. We are no longer enemies of God, no longer deserving of his punishment for sin because Jesus has died the death we deserve to die. Now, there are loads in these five verses, but in summary, what's the gospel? What is the the gospel that the, the churches in Galatia had once received, but now they've gone to this new thing, which is a no thing? What's the gospel? Jesus, God the Son, is the crucified King, who is now risen and reigning, and through faith in him there is salvation, rescue from sin and punishment, eternal life with God. But the problem in the Galatia is the spread of a non-gospel, some other message, a message that erodes, that destroys the truth of the gospel. By adding something like circumcision and the law, by adding rules to the gospel, did you hear any rules in that first five verses? No, by adding circumcision and rules, it's actually a subtraction. That's the, the gospel maths. If you add anything to Jesus, you're really taking away. And this is so important. The truth of the gospel is so important that it doesn't matter who spreads a false gospel, no matter who's speaking false gospels, it's deserving of hell. Verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. I think Paul's exaggerating here a bit to make his point. He's not exaggerating about God's curse. He's deadly serious. But the bit about angels, I think, is an exaggeration. I don't think the false teachers were claiming to be angels. I don't think Paul is worried he might start preaching anything other than Christ. But the exaggeration makes his point. No matter where it comes from, no matter how appealing a non-gospel might be, have nothing to do with it. Even if there's lots of pressure, even if powerful people promote a false gospel, And it seems some influential and powerful people were on side with this false teaching. But this letter says, God says, no matter who or what, stick with the gospel of Christ. Verse 10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. The false gospel might be popular, but it's not popular with God. Now, although the mention of angels in verse 8 is probably an exaggeration, in time it wasn't. Muslims believe an angel came to Muhammad. Mormons believe an angel came to Joseph Smith. Now, whether that's just an absolute furphy, a complete lie, or a demonic pretender, it doesn't matter. Both of these religions teach a false gospel. 
in many ways, it's actually similar to the gospel that had taken root in Galatia. In one breath, they say they honour Jesus, but even in those religions, what do they say? Well, yes, we might honour Jesus, but you've got to rescue yourself from the present evil age. These false gospels, even though they claim they come from angels, they deny that Jesus gave himself for sins. They deny that rescue and forgiveness is found in trusting him alone. There are false gospels very similar to Galatia around today, but I don't think the particular Galatian problem is much of a threat for us. I don't think getting circumcised is much of a threat for us, but the core of the lie is still present, isn't it? The core of the non-gospel is, I've got to save myself. I'm strong enough. I'm able to rescue myself. One way we see it is in the idea that we choose God, that somehow there's, there's some level of goodness in me that I would choose to turn and trust in Jesus instead of acknowledging that salvation is all of God. There's a, a subtle version of the same kind of trusting in ourselves that we, we very easily trap, trap ourselves in. On the surface, we say, yes, I'm trusting in Jesus alone. I know my salvation is totally from him. But then we are worried and anxious. Um, maybe God really doesn't love me. Maybe I haven't prayed enough. Maybe I'm not good enough to pray. God wouldn't want to listen to someone like me. Maybe my sin is so bad, it's turned God against me. That's a false gospel. If Jesus died to rescue all those who trust in him, there's nothing you can do to take him off the cross. Nothing you can do to undo the victory of Christ in his death and resurrection. This is a non-gospel that gets to us. It, it robs us of joy and confidence in Jesus. I don't know if it's something that's explicitly taught, but somehow we get it into our heads, don't we? I reckon in our context, the main non-gospels we hear uh, the non-gospels that it might even be taught, even in churches, they're a different category to the, the non-gospel taught in Galatia. Uh, in Galatia, the non-gospel was about how to be saved. Do you need circumcision and the law of Moses in order to be saved? I think in our context, the bigger risk are non-gospels that get the problem and the hope of the gospel wrong. The problem of the true gospel is, is our sin. We are trapped in this present evil age facing God's wrath. And the hope is that by faith in Jesus, he dies for us. He takes the punishment we deserve so that we can have rescue, be forgiven and eternally be reconciled with God. What are the non-gospels that are a danger for us? Oh, well, there's the prosperity gospel. The problem that this gospel claims to solve is need, sickness or financial need, debt or poverty. 
And in this false gospel, Jesus is your ticket to the rich life, your best life now, which just means that you're stuck in the present evil age. Another false gospel, I don't know whether this one is explicitly taught, but it captures our hearts, doesn't it? It's the gospel of tradition. In this gospel, the problem is change. The world is not what it used to be. Values are changing. Technology changes. And in many ways, the changes of value and technology kind of feed off each other. And in this gospel, salvation is found in tradition. Church becomes a bedrock that must never change. Uh, The government in England uh, told churches last week to be prepared for large gatherings following the, the Queen's death. Now, this might be because some of the public servants went, oh, well, when the Queen dies, everyone's going to be faced with our own normality. We thought she would live forever. She didn't, or I won't. And maybe they thought that in the face of death, people would looking, be looking for hope, thinking of eternity and meeting, meeting their maker. But I wonder if they were more thinking that the Queen's death, well, it's the end of an age. It feels like the old world is no longer here. And so people would go to church not looking for the hope of the resurrection, but for the comfort and solace of tradition. Stained glass, songs of yesteryear. But there is no saving power in tradition. Jesus didn't come to preserve traditional cultural values, but to rescue his people from sin, death and judgment. A final false gospel is one that's been labelled moralistic, therapeutic deism. Uh, No one who teaches it calls it this, but you will find this gospel all over the place. Uh, Books, uh, social media, uh, music, Christian songs. And they sound kind of Christian, but it's not the gospel. In this non-gospel, God exists to make me the best me I can be. He exists to calm my fears and anxieties, to affirm myself of my sense of self. That's the therapeutic part. And God then expects me to live a certain way to be moral, but otherwise he's distant and detached. That's what deism means. But that's not the gospel. None of these are the true gospel. The gospel is about Jesus, who he is, what he has done, that he's died for his people's sin, that by his resurrection we might be rescued from the present evil age, receiving forgiveness and eternal life. That's the real thing. And it's only in the real thing, knowing uh, this good news, trusting this Jesus, it's only in this that we can have the sure hope of forgiveness and eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the good news, the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We praise you that Jesus died for us, for our sins, to rescue believers from the present evil age. We praise you that the crucified one has risen to life and now reigns 
as the Christ, your promised King over all. Please protect us from false non-gospels. Help us know the true gospel so well that false gospels, whether they're ones we tell ourselves or ones taught by others, help us know the true gospel so well that we see false gospels for what they are. Help us hold fast to the real thing that we might know Jesus and make him truly known. Amen.